I'm glad you're here today, and I'm glad you're listening online if you are. I, I want you to know, anytime we start a new series, it's, it's kind of like one of those things that if you've been gone for a few weeks, I don't want to discourage you from coming back in the middle, but if you can make a point to be here at the start of a series, I think it really helps you in the sense of pulling you in and making you come back and seeing the point of saying, hey, I need to hear all of these messages. And this series, especially through the month of September, I would tell you, if you're not hearing this or if there's someone looking around and you're like, hey, they're not here, I want to make sure they heard this, tell your friends, hey, go of the series. This is important to kind of start the groundwork. This is important for this week for them to start this process. So uh, encourage those that are not here to do that and, and excited for those that are choosing to watch and are here now because it is a key. I don't know if you've ever been in a place where you've had to start over, start back at the basics. I know for me, there's a few scenarios where this has happened. Uh, think about this for a moment. Um, if you were ever on a sports team and uh, you got your bootays kicked, um, I don't know, if, give me a little raise of hand if you were on one of those teams that got your bootes a uh, little bit uh, slapped and you were, you, were, you were in pain and you were frustrated and you were sad and then you got to the locker room or you got you know, next to the coach after the game and he gave you one of these speeches. Well, we learned, didn't we, today? They taught us a lesson. We're going to have practice tomorrow and what are we going to do? We're going to go back to the basics. We're going to start over. We're going to begin at the bottom. And it, it always started with these speeches, right, of like, we're going to like, and you would show up to practice the next week. I know personally mine, there was no basketballs in the gym. And you're like, what the basketball? We're not even touching basketballs today. And you're like, oh, no. And you just get into defensive stance, and you just felt like your crab walked everywhere for about two hours. You know, and then you got home, and you're, you're like, coach said I have to brush my teeth like this. Like, you know, and you're just... You learn, you know, maybe, maybe for you, uh, it was a back to the basics uh, because you forgot how to do math every summer, all right? And you just showed up every fall, and they put letters in math, and you were like, I forget. I don't know what X equals. I learned it last year. It seems to change a lot, and I, I am frustrated. And as a parent, I think I'm on the brink of that disaster a second time through. I didn't realize I was going to have to do it a second time through. Right? We're like, I got to go back to basic math. I got to figure this out. I thought I already had X figured out. Um, but, or maybe, maybe it's something catastrophic. And I know this is a real scenario, too, where you got injured, right? How many of you have been injured? I know for myself, I tore a hamstring in college and I remember learning to squat again. Yeah, that was it. A lady much older than myself held my hand as I did this. And I remember thinking, I knew how to do that a week ago. Why do I have to relearn how to do that? Or maybe it's even more catastrophic. And some of us know these scenarios where someone gets hurt so, poor, so badly, they have to learn how to walk again, feed themselves, learn how to talk again. I don't know what scenario we're in right now, if I could be real with you. I feel like some of us in the room... We feel like we just got our bootays kicked. We're like, all right, just give me the coach talk, take the basketballs away, and we get a defensive stance for a little while. Let's figure this out. I don't know if you feel like you've been injured, all right? If you're just like, I just am limping a lot, and I feel like I need some physical therapy, and I need to start with some stretching. just need to start with something real simple. I don't know if it feels like a problem like math, where just the world looks so complicated, and, and you felt like you knew the simple answers, 
You felt like you had the simple wisdom, and now it feels so complicated to look around the world. Or I don't know if you feel like it's just been devastating, and you're just trying to get up and breathe every day. I don't know where you're at, but this series, this is what it's about. It's about trying to wade into this. It's about in my own soul every day. I feel a little, maybe like a little bit of each of those. I just want to breathe right. I just want to know the answers. I just want to get back to what I feel like would be helpful. I just want to get better. I want to feel healthier than I did the day before. So, wading into that, these are the questions that kind of bounced around my head. Uh, how to walk, right? How to dribble, how to be a man, how to do math. I don't know why those are equated to me as similar, but I felt like they were complicated. How to be a dad, Jesus follower. How do I really do this? Now, I'll tell you, this jumping off point right here, these questions, there's a thousand directions I could go to. And I have a few weeks here to teach about and talk about a few. But I, I want you to know the first one that came to my mind that is so important for today and I think it's important for all of us to start with, it's just this simple thought. If we're going to strip it back down to the basics, it's, it's the heart. Now, why, why this jumps out, and maybe for some of you, like, that didn't come to mind. <laughs> you, know, like you, you had other things. I, I want to give you some verses on why this popped out to me. Proverbs 4.23 says this, Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Or how about... Jesus himself, talking about this in Matthew, Matthew 5.8, he says this, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Don't we need a little clarity right now? A little clarity of what we're doing. Uh, how about a little bit further in Matthew? Jesus even goes a little further in saying this. He says this in Matthew 21, For the, where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. What you value most displays and shows the location of your heart. Or how about the Shema, which is one of the most famous prayers, something that every Jewish person would have said for their, their whole life. It's in Deuteronomy chapter 6. It says this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. They would have prayed this, said this over and over and over again. There's that word. There's that thought. Heart. Jesus takes the Shema a little further, and he adds in what we just studied in John, which I love. And he says this, a new command I give you in John 13. Love, the, love one another as I have loved you, so that you must love one another. By this, everyone will know what? You are my disciples if you love one another. So if we're going to be a Christ follower, and from the very beginning, the Shema has told us it takes all our heart, all our soul, and all our strength and if the, everything we know and everything we do flows from our heart, and if our treasure is found in what our heart wants, then maybe being healthy in our heart is important. But it feels sometimes basic. Now, if you're wondering, what is the heart? I want to give you some clarification. It seems to be used in a very broad way, but there is no Hebrew word for the word brain. Did you know that? Uh, the Hebrew, uh, they were great at understanding and recognizing that the heart was an organ, but they actually thought everything that you think, everything that you feel, the concept of the organ of the brain. So this idea of the heart, it, it, enca it encapsulates all of this stuff. Yeah, it's a physical thing. 
But your thought life, your emotions, and all your choices flow from your heart. So when it says, guard your heart, your physical thoughts, emotions, and choices. When it says, the treasures of your heart, When it says, love the Lord your God with all your heart. It flows. Now, rather than just jump into what I think we need to do, I'm going to get there at the end. I wanted to give you three little pictures of what I felt like a healthy heart looked like. Okay? These are just three quick snapshots of what I feel like a healthy heart. Because back to the basics, it helps us if... If we see a little bit of picture of what it's supposed to look like, sometimes that all it was, right? Game film, right? The coach describing it to you. Sometimes a doctor telling you, hey, you only have this far range of motion. Sometimes some showing you what it could be like to get back to where you were. I want to start with the first example of what a good or healthy heart may look like is in Daniel. Daniel. Daniel had an incredible heart for God. Now, I'm going to not talk about David. So before some of you are like, well, David's a land after God. I felt like you guys know that. (laughs) And in some ways, I wanted to show you an example in the Old Testament that I think aligns with David's heart. David was a man after God's own heart. But Daniel in chapter 6 does this incredible thing. After a law is passed by the current king of Babylon that no worship can take place to any other god but him, the emperor of Babylon, the king of Babylon. A secret creed is kind of created, and no one in the entire city can worship anyone but him. Daniel does this, and I love the description. Now, when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows were open towards Jerusalem, which was the presence of God. So cool. Three times a day, he got down on his knees, and he prayed, giving thanks to God. Just what? as he had done before. This wasn't a, oh, now I'm going to stick it to the king. This was an obedience that he had done and a routine that he had done. The moment he heard a decree had been passed, he continued to do the basic thing that he had done his whole life. Quick things I want to point out. Where he looked to is Jerusalem, like I said, the temple, the very presence of God, how he did it on his knees, where he did it, an upstairs room, not in a public place. What did he pray? He gave thanks to God. And how did he do it? Consistently, three times every day. Just a snapshot, like I said. Let's move on. Let's talk about Jesus. If we're going to get to the heart, we should probably talk about Jesus. Jesus talked about prayer when he was asked about it. How should we pray? And I love this concept because he gives such a beautiful description of prayer, but he also unpacks a little bit of the heart. This is what he says uh, in Matthew chapter 6. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they pray standing in the synagogues. And on the street corners, to be seen by others, truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. This to me feels like social media these days, just personally, when I read that. 
You pray on social media, but you never do the second part. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. And your Father who sees what you have done. He's not only talking about prayer, he's talking about the heart. Can you feel it? The treasure of the person that stands up in front of all those people is the acknowledgement that they would be seen as spiritual, righteous, and good. The person that goes in private is humble. Not self-seeking, but selfless. Lays himself down in a posture, which I love, in a secret place nobody sees and prays. It's an incredible layout. The third little description of a heart that I thought has some pretty amazing qualities that I think we should get to the back to the basics of would be the church. Hey, look at that. Here we are. Well, this isn't us. This is the first century church. After the Holy Spirit comes in this display of fire over the heads of the apostles, which is such a cool picture, and you should go look this up. Fire comes and wind comes. The rojo of God, which is the very breath that he breathes into Adam in Genesis 1, comes like a mighty wind. And then fire comes, which is like the burning bush, which is like the pillar of fire, which is like this display of God's presence that has been through the whole Old Testament. Now it comes and lays itself over his head, which is the very presence of God. So they're filled with the breath of God. They're filled with the presence of God. And they receive the Holy Spirit. And they go and Peter preaches to a crowd. And Jesus only led, we think, like 100 to maybe 300 people that were following by the end of the cross. As in one day... Peter brings a couple thousand with his sermon. So the church is just explodes. And then you think, that's when the chaos begins. Because if you've been behind the scenes of a church at all, you know that people bring chaos. And this is where it just all falls apart, right? We just read the drama and how it lays out. But that's not what we get at all. We seem to have really good hearts at this basic start, at the very beginning. Here's what it says in Acts chapter 2 at the very end. After all that has taken place and Peter has preached, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship of breaking bread and to prayer. I can, oh, I'm always down to pray and eat. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. And all the believers together had what? Everything in common. That is such a bogus phrase, you guys. These are... When, when Peter preaches, he preaches in all of these native tongues that none of these people knew that the apostles knew. They shouldn't have known them. They heard it in their own language. They had so little in common. But all of a sudden, they had everything in common. They sold their property and possessions and gave it to anyone in need. Every day, they continued to meet Uh, together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Praising God and enjoying the favor of all people, the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Can you feel that humble, generous, loving heart? Powerful powerful. I find it curious when I try to think about our world and where our heart's at. 
And how if I look and I try to put my life or our scenario or my own heart into those situations where someone would make a decree or a rule that would limit what I feel like I am able to do in my faith, or what I would say would take away from my opportunities to live out what I feel like God has called me to do. Have I made it a public battle or have I made it a private conviction to follow through with what God has called me to do? I think about where my heart's at when I choose to pray and where I choose to be spiritual. Was it showing up or watching online or making declarations of my faith so that others around me will see, or is it in a private, closed space in humble allegiance to a God that I love and serve? Where's my heart at in that? And I wonder if it flows not just in the things that I would do in my private life or in my prayer life, but if it actually flows into the way I live, that others would see it without me having to declare it or defend it. I would wonder if it would flow out in my life. You know, this heart change was not an easy thing for the people around Jesus. When he started to talk about this new kingdom and this new heart and what he was fighting for, there was a lot of people that didn't get it. There's a lot of people that wanted external change, external battles, lots of fights up front. They wanted things to be different, and, and he kept calling them back to the root of why he was here. He kept calling them back to what he wanted to see changed first and foremost. He, was, he, he almost just begged them to believe in the basic thing that he wanted to do that would make all the difference. Uh, you see this when, when he calls Peter and Matthew, or I'm sorry, when he calls Matthew in Matthew. And the tax collector that Matthew was in chapter 9, this is what happens when Jesus comes up to the booth that Matthew's at. Listen to the conversation that, that happens just a few verses after Jesus comes up in a public place, talks to Matthew, and then has to engage with people that don't understand the basic thing that Jesus is trying to do, what he's fighting for. Jesus went up uh, from there. He saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Now, this tax collector's booth were in a main public square. They were in the main place that people would travel because they were a prominent thing that needed to be paid. Everyone paid their taxes to Rome. Everybody hated tax collectors. They had their own category aside from sinner, and that should tell you how much they were hated. They're like, no, we can't even put them in with sinners. They're their own category of bad. And Jesus just says, follow me which would blow my mind. I mean, I can't imagine where you're at in work. I don't know if it's at home or if it's at a place of business at this point, but can you imagine just someone coming into where you're working in front of all your coworkers and in front of a public crowd and just going, hey, you, follow me. And not to mention that you are the one that everyone despises. No one likes. No one wants to be around. Everyone around you would sneer. Everyone around you would get angry. Everyone around you would react. Everyone around you would do the one of these like, what is happening? And you're thinking maybe he's just going to give him what he deserves, but when he uses the words, follow me, it is a call. It's an opportunity. It's an a position of honor. Every single boy in Israel went through training went through teachings of the Shema and the Torah, had it memorized to a degree, but not all of them got the opportunity to be under a rabbi. And if you did, it meant that you were smart, that you were of a good calling, that you had a good background. That means you made it. And 
I don't think Matthew had made it. So when he says, follow me, Peter or Matthew got up immediately and followed him, which that to me is another magical thing. But again, Jesus sees the heart. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, something crazy happens. Many tax collectors, see, and sinners got their own cash. Saw this, they asked the disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus overhears the conversation. I just like to picture him with like a half a mouth full of food, like kind of in the middle of the discussion. He's like, it's good, I. <laughs> Is it not the healthy? They need a doctor, but the sick? Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the what? Righteous, but the sinners. Oh, he's quoting Hosanna, or Hosea 6.6, 6, which is a beautiful prayer that Hosea prays over his prostitute wife that he's trying to call into, understanding the relationship change. Now, when this happens, this right here is a major shift. This is a shift from going, I want the people on the outside. I want the people, or I want the people that look good on the outside. I want the people that have our lives all together. I want the people that say the right things, look the right way, and know the right things. I want all those people. And Jesus looks at him and goes, no, that's why I didn't, I didn't come for that. I came for the people who need me the most. I came for the people who are hurting and broken I came for the people that are so far from me, so lost, so broken. I came to work on the heart. I came to fix something deep inside of them that is broken. The needs fixed. It does not change whether Matthew's <laughs> at that first dinner or I think Matthew is later in life. I know he is still working through, because I am still working through, the guilt, persecution in the sense of what they were going against versus what we see on a daily basis with non-comparable. But you and I still have to fight for something that happens in here, not here most days. It's what you're doing in here that flows into what God is going to do. So let me ask you this. As we start the basics. I want you to know that Jesus came for broken hearts. Jesus came for broken hearts. And so for most of us in here, if we recognize that most days, I don't wake up with my heart feeling completely healthy. I don't wake up feeling like I have everything I need. I recognize my need for more than myself. Recognize that there is a deep longing, a deep wound, a deep calling that can only be found in what Jesus offers, what his word brings, what his spirit offers, the wisdom, the common sense, and the faith that comes and continues to grow in me. So, Taking some steps with that, knowing that that's how we become Jesus' followers as we allow him to do his work in our broken hearts. How can we improve our hearts? How can we take steps to say, I want my heart 
to improve in 2020. I don't want 2020 to be a lost year. I don't want to get to 2021 limping. I want to come in, even if externally the world is burning, I want to feel like my heart is growing. I want to feel like what God is doing on the inside is powerful and important. So how do we do that? Three things. This is where the challenge is. This is why I started the service the way I did. Three ways to improve your heart in 2020. The first is this posture. Body language of faith. I will tell you this right now. I, I don't have time to quote all the verses, but even multiple of the stories that I talked, it talked about the importance and, and the description of people praying on their knees. I, I have a hard time thinking of any scenario where I desire to get on my knees. You know, you know what I'm talking about? You, you ever drop something underneath the dresser, under the couch? You ever been working on a car, drop the wrench through the center? What do you got to do, right? Get down on your knees, then you got to crawl, then you get your phone out, try to use the, the phone thing, but it doesn't quite work because the light's in the center and you're trying to see under it and you can't make it, right? So by the end of it, you're a beached whale looking, swimming underneath your couch trying to find the thing that's rolled to the back. That's my only scenario in my daily life or my weekly life where I feel like I choose to get on my knees. Every other time I find myself there, it was an accident. I tripped, I fell. But these people are choosing. Have you thought about love languages? I love this discussion if you're a married couple in here. Now, some people are uh, physical touch people. Any physical touch people in here? Just touch me and tell me you love me. That's all I need. All right? You recognize that sometimes touch precedes words? You ever dated someone or liked someone, and you remember you sat down next to them at a bench or somewhere, and then your knees just touched a little, and they didn't pull away? And you went, Oh. Or how about that first time? How about that first time? You remember this? You reach your hand out and you just kind of touch their hand, see what they do, and they didn't pull away. And you just kind of. Some of you that's, oh, we're holding hands. How about when you haven't seen somebody in a long time? Maybe for some of us in this room, we're living that right now. You haven't seen some people that you normally see more, seen in a long time. Precedes the words. What, what, what comes, right? Oh, no social distance here, baby. Ah, hey. Big old hug. You guys, there is something about body language and posture in your faith that is incredibly basic and a need for your heart. Your heart needs this. It is a love language of your heart. It is something that displays your heart. And I will tell you this, if you will just try it this week, if you will just get down on your knees when you pray. Get some pillows, make it soft. I don't want to break your cartilage or the lack thereof. Find a spot, private. 
It's, it'll feel weird, you guys. I just want to describe this to you. You'll find a spot, all right? You'll find a spot. It'll be in the back bedroom. You'll set it all up. You'll tell no one because you'll be nervous. You know, maybe someone will make fun of you or whatever. And it's just the internal struggle of your personality, right? And you'll go back there and you'll set it up and you'll get down for like two seconds and it'll be like the heebie-jeebies. You're like, what is this? This is so weird. Why am I doing this? Why would I get on my knee? And then all of a sudden you'll start praying. I want to see the emails. I want messages when you try this for the first time, if you never have. You start praying in that posture. It changes prayer. Changes prayer. It's a basic thing that a lot of us ignore. It's a basic thing that a lot of us don't try, but it changes your prayer. And if you do it consistently, not for public recognition, not to try to get your own gain, but to try to get your heart aligned with the Father. To get your heart to feel the love of your Savior. It's a basic thing that'll change your prayer life and affect your heart. The second one is this. Pray! So if you can't get the posture right, okay, the knee thing, it's too much for you, going down, I get it, I get it, you're like, nope, not trying it. I, and another challenge for you, I just want you to see how powerful posture could, can be before I go to prayer. If you ever are, are in a fight with someone verbally, if you can do this, it will blow your mind. There's studies from Harvard and I think UCLA now that have both done this. If you sit in a chair and you put your palms up like this, all right, I can't hardly do this. And then you look at the person you're talked to and you do nothing else but your feet flat on the floor and put your palms just like this, you cannot get angry. You have to make a fist, you have to lift a foot up, you have to do, it is, it is literally a body language stopgate for you to get mad. It is crazy. Next time you get in an argument, you try it. You sit down in a chair, put your palms like this, and then you put your feet flat on the ground, you keep it straight back and you see how hard it is. You want to change your posture. You want to guard yourself. It's a natural reflex to change yourself. That's how powerful body language can be. But I want to promise you this. Prayer itself is exercise for your heart. You know how I know this? Because I don't like working out. Anybody here don't like working out? I hate working out. I know some of you made that assumption already, but don't go there. All right? We're going to work on that. We're getting healthy by the end of 2020. That's a personal goal. We'll get there later. All right? But look, I don't like working out. And you know what? I know it's good for me. I know it's good for me. I get on my bike in my basement. I go for like five minutes and I'm like, that was enough. And you know what stinks is that sounds a lot like my prayer life sometimes. I know it's healthy. I, I know it's good for me. I just I won't do it. I won't wake up early. I don't want to. I'm tired. I want to go to bed. I got stuff to do. I don't want to stop in the middle of my day. Five minutes. I know that I've mentioned this to you before, but the love, basically the counseling love center down here in Branson that does a lot of marriages, they've, they came out with some crazy statistics a few years ago that said that couples that pray together every night before they go to bed, regardless of what happened during the day, they have an 85% success rate in their marriage when the normal right now is 50 or less. It is an incredible thing for your heart to learn 
to pray. And I will tell you this, praying out loud with another person that you are connected to changes the prayer. It, it, it's like exercise. It's work praying these things out loud. How can I do this? I don't know what to say. I don't know where to go. I don't know. What am I supposed to do? All right. That's okay. That's how workouts start. Have you ever seen something that hasn't worked out in a while? Try to start working out. They look like a beach whale trying to do a sit-up. It doesn't work. I've been to some of those workout classes. You know those military classes over here at Define? I got drugged there one time. We were doing 100 sit-ups through the whole thing. You know what I look like by the 40th? Yeah, a dying man on a mat. I'm telling you, you have to recognize your prayer life is this way. Fight for it. Push through it. It may feel difficult. It may feel challenging. You may not learn the words, but you need to practice. You need to start. And the more you do it, you guys, it is beautiful. When I pray with my boys, which I don't want to boast, but when I pray with my boys most nights, I say the same thing with them. Sometimes my heart's there. Sometimes it's not. But I can feel the exercise when I say, look, we're going to learn, laugh, listen, and love well. We're going to choose Jesus every day. We're going to sleep well so we can grow up and we can share and we can give and we can be generous and kind i say almost that exact prayer every night and sometimes it's just for me i'm like yeah we're gonna do that we are gonna do it. and you could do that too you know and then it's like i feel it in my soul the difference that it has and they remember the words and it reminds them of who we are and what our heart is supposed to be pursuing told you at the beginning that this wouldn't be something that most of you in here is like, thanks. Excited to start. Please, don't miss the power of posture. Don't miss the exercise. Prayer is meant to be for your relationship, through your heart. The last one is the one that's going to be the most convicting and it's going to be the challenge in this. Fasting. Creating space for your heart to grow. For some of you in here, you've never chosen to fast. And I, I'm going to start with the food side of things. Fasting is intentionally replacing something in your daily life with God. That's what fasting is. It's intentionally removing something in your life and replacing with God. The most common that is referenced in the Bible, of course, is food. And it's exactly what it sounds like. You stop eating. You just drink water for a set amount of time. And then when you get hungry, and when life creeps in, when you get distracted, you have something that reminds you, that focuses you, that brings you back. Now, why I chose this statement right here is because most of us in here have our lives plumb full. Our hearts are trying to grow and change, but the pressure of our daily schedule and our daily choices and our thought life and everything around it has already pre-decided the shape. It's already pre-decided what you're going to look like because you've created that routine. When you choose to fast, you break your routine. When you break that routine, there's a chance for parts of you that have never had a chance to see and evaluate and determine and to change has a chance to grow. And then when you come back, you decide again what that routine will look like. And maybe in that time, you've had a chance to set some new boundaries for your heart. 
Now, this is an intentional thing that Jesus does multiple times in his ministry, but I think it's an intentional thing that even the church does. I myself have been a part of a few fasts, and I want you to know that I've never done a fast, and at the end, go, and that was worthless. It's just never, that's never happened. It may have been hard. It may have been challenging. It may not have been my favorite thing to do, but at the end, I go, oh my goodness, I'm so glad I did that. Now, here's my challenge, and I don't like saying these things from the stage because it appears like I'm boasting, but I want to do something with you. I want to engage in this. This is our first week of Back to the Basics. I want my posture and my prayer life and my heart itself to change. I want fasting to be the place where my heart has a chance to grow. So I'm choosing not to eat until next Sunday. I'm going to drink some water, and I'm just going to pray. Now, what's so cool about this? Next week, we have a meal together. We have a barbecue right out here, and that will be a chance for me to teach and stuff, and then we can go. And I want you to join me if you're able. I want you to join me. Now, for some of you at meeting, you're like, tomorrow's like, no! You can't do this to me. I get it. Start Tuesday. I'll just remove your excuse, all right? It's all right. Start Tuesday. For some of you out here, you you may not be able to do the physical side. I get it. You might be making a human right now. And you're like, listen, baby and I talk, ain't happening. All right? I get it. Maybe for some of you, a challenge might just don't eat during the day. Sun up to sundown. Choose not to. Maybe it's social media. I don't want to give you that cop out, though, because some of you are like, oh, found it. I did it. You just delete Facebook, and now I can eat whatever I want. <laughs> but I really want to challenge. And here's, here's what I'm so excited that's going to happen if we choose to do this and we get back to the basics. Some of you are going to feel the weight of the world, and you're not going to be able to turn to food as a distraction. Some of you are going to feel the weight of whatever 2020 has brought. And you're going to have to turn to Jesus in a real intentional way because you're hungry for something different. Something more than what this world can offer, even on a sustenance level like food. Now again, be safe. Do not be dumb. If you have some medical things, do not choose to engage in this. But... I will just tell you this from doing these before. 48 hours is the first break. When your body goes from glucose to to ketosis, and after that, it's a little easier. But the first 48 hours are tough. But you can do it. This is something. Look at me. Look at me. It will change the body language of your faith. You don't even have to get on your knees. You'll just feel it at lunch. Standing up. It may drive you to your knees. But would that be a bad thing? You may pray like you never prayed before. (laughs) My dear Jesus, please, one goldfish. It's under the couch. No one would see. It looks fine. But would that be so bad? You prayed. Would it be so bad 
that in the midst of all the craziness that you would create a little space for your heart to grow. That the brokenness inside of you, the very thing that Jesus longs to reach and to heal, would have a chance to be healed and grow in a new way. Because everything in your life is flowing from it. Everything in your life is a treasure of your heart. This may redefine your treasures and it may give you something new to give. Something may flow out of you that is never even to your God and to the people around you. Because I truly believe going back to the basics starts with getting our hearts healthy. My challenge to you is this. Find a way this week to fast. Put yourself in a posture that you can. Pray a little bit more. And let's see what God does when we come back next week. Wait too.